Well, good morning, Soul Sanctuary. It is great to have you here with us this morning. If you are a guest with us this morning, we welcome you. I would encourage you to fill out a welcome home card and uh, proceed to the welcome center after the gathering. We'd love to get to know you, and we'd like to get some information about Soul Sanctuary into your hands. If you are a regular here, we are happy to see you. The summer has been busy, so we are happy you are with us this morning. As a way of introduction, uh, my name is Shauna Lavender, and I am the children's pastor here at Seoul. So normally on a Sunday morning, I would be working and engaging with all of the kids that were up here this morning. Now, I've had a number of people ask me, when they find out that I'm a children's pastor, they ever ask me if I preach in front of adults. Now, while I do enjoy preaching and uh, preparing sermons uh, for adults, my passion is to see children that are part of our community grow and become strong witnesses for Christ. However, I still do love the opportunities to be in the main gathering, and I have a few thoughts for you this morning on the book of Matthew. Uh, but before I do that, I'd love to give you a highlight of something, some exciting things that happened here this week at Soul Sanctuary. Now, last week was a busy week here at Soul Sanctuary. We ran our first ever mega sports camp from Monday to Friday. And while it was busy, we had a blast with 45 kids in attendance. We had a fantastic group of volunteers that poured into the lives of the children through basketball, through soccer, through musical theater, through snacks through water games, and through building relationship. We also had the privilege of having Matthias Gosen, Gusen, I always got his name wrong and the kids always corrected me throughout the week. <laughs> Number 61 for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, he came on Monday to be able to talk about his journey of faith and sport. The kids had an ex a blast getting autographs and pictures with him. And I'm really grateful for organizations like Athletes in Action that helped make this possible. We also had a chapel time with the children where we walked through the life of Peter with them. Now the life of Peter is a story to relate to them that no matter if we fail, God will pick us up, dust us off, and move us into his will for our lives. And it was exciting to see how our young leaders were so engaged with the children in some deep spiritual conversations with some of the kids that told us they had no church background. They were even able to hand a Bible out to a child that was so very interested in scripture but had no Bible. It was such a full and amazing week. And as you see, we're just scrolling through some pictures of some of the activities that we went through. Now the last picture that I want to show you that's going to come up on the screen is the amazing group of volunteers that made this camp happen. We had Alec Matica, Julia LeClaire, Jessica Siemens, Jeff Sanchi, Alyssa Sanchi, Soleil Lucier, Chanson Lucier, Mike Mundy, Andrew Davison, Andrew Ketting, Nick Bergen, Tanner Bergen, Clinton Newfeld. Murray Lavender, Allison Craker, Terry Sawatsky, and Emily Nickel. They did a fantastic job of representing Seoul to our community. Now I want to brag a little bit on our young leaders. And as you can tell by this picture, we had a lot of Young Life and Wildlife uh, crew that helped with this camp. 
Now, these guys went above and beyond when it came to helping with the camp. So they even went and organized themselves without the older leaders asking them to make sure that the bathrooms were cleaned every day. So they, even before we had to talk to them, they came up and said, oh yeah, Pastor Shonda, this crew, we're going to clean the bathrooms at lunch, and this crew, they're going to clean the bathrooms after, and, you know, give us the mop and, and, and the window wash, and we will make sure everything is ready for the next day. And, you know, it was so humbling to see the servant heart of these young leaders as they went and served every day. And you know what? I am grateful for each one of them that were on our team. Now the Soul Kids Department is getting ready for our kids camp that's happening here August 21st to, 20, 21st to 24th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. So if you're interested in volunteering or you want to register your kids, you can head over to soulsanctuary.ca and scroll down to the event page for more information uh, or to register as a camper or a volunteer. So I just wanted to celebrate that with our community today about how it's just been a fantastic week and now here we are getting ready as a community to hear God's word. So as we've been moving through the book of Matthew, we've been exploring the upside down kingdom. Over the last few weeks, we've had Pastor Jordan Michelski talk about in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, how we can discover some simple steps for embracing God's will for our lives. While Pastor Jerry spoke on Matthew chapter 7 in the Upside Down Kingdom series about wolves and sheep. With taking a look at the book of Matthew, we see how Jesus has been taking the law as the people knew and were pushing people into a deeper understanding of what scripture was actually saying. Jesus was demonstrating to the people time and time again that there was something more to the law than what they currently understood. As we read through Matthew, we hear time and time again phrases like, you heard it said, but I say, pointing people to a realization that Jesus has something important for people to hear, to understand, and to know. All of the prophecies throughout the Old Testament were not only showing the people how they were to be living, but it also pointed to the fact that they needed a Savior. While Jesus' teachings were not overly popular with those in the religious field due to the claims that he was making, the people that were following Jesus understood that there was something different about Jesus and the words that he was saying. In his speaking, Jesus was demonstrating to his followers that there was something, sorry, in, in his speaking, Jesus was demonstrating to his followers that there was something deeper in life than the law. Rather than following the law and thinking, ah, good enough, Jesus was pushing his followers to realize that for deep, lasting change, there needed to be a heart change, not just a flippant following of the law. So the passage of scripture that we are going to be looking at today is found in Matthew 8, verses 1 to 17. Now within the first chapter, first part of chapter 8, Jesus is dealing with the area of healing. We will be reading the three healing stories that were, are represented in this beginning portion of chapter 8 as the life lesson progresses. 
Now, when we look at healing, we often have various views of what healing looks like. Now, for most people, when they think of healing, they think of physical healing first and foremost. Now, both Marie and I have some amazing stories of being prayed over and seeing God's healing power at work. One of the stories that, as I was preparing, came to my mind was one that involved Marie. When we lived in Saskatchewan, we were involved in working at a camp. We were the camp leaders of the junior youth camp. And we were always trying to think of new ways to engage the junior youth in activities and get them excited about not only God, but bonding experiences. So one year, we had came up with the plan, hey, let's make a slip and slide. We're in the prairies, we can improvise something. So we took a covering from a hay bale, cut it in half, rolled it down a hill. I want to preface this by saying, yes, we do have hills in Saskatchewan. And we had a water horse that we had a hose, and we were hosing it down, and we were getting excited. We had thrown soap on it. We were like, okay, this is going to be amazing. So like any good wife, I asked my husband, I said, hey, Marie, can you just check it out? Like, make sure the kids are going to slide all the way down. Because, you know, we want to make sure no one's going to fall and hurt themselves. Famous last words. Um, so as Murray was going, he kind of looked at me a little hesitantly. But as he was going, he slipped on the slip and slide. And he managed to turn himself. And the adults that were there heard the most horrific pop that I had ever heard before. So luckily that year, I had an anesthesiologist as one of my counselors. He got Murray immobilized. My poor assistant director, Norm, who had literally just got back from taking somebody to the hospital, loaded Murray up, took him to the PA hospital. And throughout the day, I was getting text messages of the severity of his injury. So the pop that we had heard was actually his shoulder breaking. So when I get this one call from our assistant director, he's like, yeah, the, they just came in with the x-ray and it's showing a couple of breaks, um, some of which the doctors are saying are going to need surgery. So you know, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, how are we going to manage financially? How, how are we going to deal with him being immobilized for the rest of camp? Like, what are we going to do? So they drugged him up, sent him back to camp, and he was laying in, a, in an RV. And I remember the, that Thursday going into camp, and all the kids are asking, oh, how's, how's Pastor Murray? What's going on? And I told them, and a few of them said to me, we need to stop everything right now, and we need to pray for him. So the kids prayed for him, and uh, the day went on, and Murray's like, oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I'm like, great. You know, can you do anything? <laughs> like, we're at the last day of camp. Can you do anything? He's looking at me like, you are crazy. But he was walking around. He was starting to feel better. And the doctor in Prince Albert had told us, as soon as you get back to Saskatoon, go to your family doctor, get him x-rayed, and that will tell you when you have to go in for surgery. So with all of campness on us, we went into the doctor's office, and we told the he got x-rayed. We went into our family doctor, and he he kind of looked at us, he's like, why are you guys here? And we gave him the whole spiel, like, yeah, I was a good wife, had my husband try the slip and slide, 
broke a shoulder. And the doctor looked at us, he had a really confused look in his face, and he's like, well, how long ago did this happen? We're like, two, three days ago? You're at camp, you don't actually remember the progression of days as they happen. We're like, two or three days ago? And the doctor looked at us, and he showed us the x-ray, and he's like, there's no breaks in his shoulder at all. And we're like, wow, praise God. And the doctor's like, what? So we had a witnessing opportunity for the doctor. Because what had happened, too, is that one of our friends who was an LPN was in the hospital in PA and sent me a text message going, yeah, I see the breaks in his shoulder. So when we were able to put on Facebook, because I had had people all over the country and in the UK praying for him, we said, thank you for your prayers. His shoulder's not broken. Everybody was so excited because God had answered the prayers of his people. And, you know, it was really exciting for us because we've been able to use that story of Marie's healing to so many other people that maybe healing doesn't exist it's not possible or maybe it only happened in biblical times and it doesn't happen now and we have this story that we have people in the medical profession to be able to say actually this did happen i did see it and it's been fantastic because so many people have been excited and wanted more information because of that now in these three separate stories of healing that we find in matthew there's more, than going, there's more going on than just physical healing. If we look at these three stories, we would understand how the healing that Jesus was bringing to people was more than just physical. But it was one that the Jewish people would see as a healing of social, gender, and ethnic boundaries. Now, it's interesting how Jesus took sickness and used it to explore a greater healing that needed to happen and needed to take place within the Jewish society. Well, take a look at each one of these three healing stories separately because each one has a lesson for us, uh, teaches us a different lesson. So the first story we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. And it says, A large crowd followed Jesus as he came down the hillside. Look, a leper is approaching. He kneels down before him, worshiping. Sir, the leper pleads, if you want, you can heal me. Jesus touched the man. I want to, he said, be healed, and instantly the leprosy disappears. Then Jesus said to him, don't stop to talk to anyone. Go right over to the priest to be examined and take with you the offering required by Moses' law for lepers who are healed. A public testimony of your cure. Now it's interesting that Matthew starts this section of healing with the condition of leprosy. Leprosy was and is a horrible disease that people who understood the disease knew the torment that the person would undergo. Within biblical times there were many Levitical laws that governed how leprosy was to be dealt with both individually and within the community. In the Old Testament, there were specific guidelines for examining people as well as treatment for those who were affected with these issues. In Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, this deals specifically with the issue of leprosy because it was felt that the skin issues were highly infectious to the community and needed to be contained. 
If a person was to have leprosy, they were regarded as unclean, both physically and ceremonial, ceremonially, sorry, and were outcast. This meant they were totally removed from everything that they knew. They were no longer able to be around family. They were no longer able to worship in the temple or to be in the community at large. The lepers were at the mercy of the people around them to throw them scraps of food, scraps of material for clothing, and maybe even a piece of lumber so that they'd be able to fashion a place to stay. If it happened that they were allowed to come into the community, they had to declare in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, so that people would know to avoid them. They weren't allowed to quietly move through the community, but they had to make a public declaration wherever they went that they were not like the rest of the community. If they were unable to be cured of the leprosy, these men and women led a very lonely, isolated life. They had no hope, no community, no ability to enter into the temple to hear God's word and to worship with like-minded people. So in moving to chapter 8, the first thing we see is a man with leprosy and how he is going against the societal norms in his interaction with Jesus. He takes the ultimate risk in coming to Jesus. There were crowds that were around Jesus. And this was specifically a place that he was not supposed to be. His disease, by definition of the culture, meant he was impure, that he was less than whole. He was not meant to be around people that were well, so to make them unclean. The only way that the man should have been in the crowd was after he was recovered. And the only pro recognized process for that to happen was for the man with leprosy to have gone to the temple to show himself to the priest to be cl declared clean again, then make the appropriate sacrifices as per the law of Moses so that he could be reintegrated back into his community. But as we read this narrative, we see that this has not happened. So not only is this man among a crowd of people, but as he approaches Jesus, he lays down. This man who had lost so much because of his condition knew that his last resort was to be at the feet of Jesus. This man had probably heard about the healings that Jesus had performed, and he hoped beyond hope that Jesus may just be able to help him, restore him, and give him back everything that he had lost. But what Jesus would do next would shock the people that were around him. You see, in verse 3, we read that Jesus reached down and he touched the man. Jesus touched a man that was deemed unworthy, detestable, not worth the time of day. As Jesus touched him and showed compassion, he was healed of his disease. Jesus, through the act of touching and healing this man, bridged a gap that existed between the temple laws and the boundaries of religion. 
the temple laws dictated the way that people were to act and interact with those that found themselves on the outside of what the normal was supposed to be. Jesus demonstrated to those who were around him that while he had a respect for the Old Testament laws, he had been empowered by his Father to do the work of miracles. Now, Jesus actually broke temple law by touching the man, but touches him not only to show compassion, but also to demonstrate that he had the authority over the illnesses that were presented to him. In one of the commentaries that I had read, it may mention that Jesus performed miracles not to awaken uh, the faith of the people, but to exhibit it. The man with leprosy knew that Jesus could heal him, and he was willing to come under Jesus' authority to see wholeness come to his body, mind, and soul. Now at the end of the healing, Jesus tells the man not to tell anyone of how he was healed. Rather, he's to go immediately to the temple and present himself to the priest, as was the custom of those who were he healed from a serious aff affliction. Now, a few commentaries that I read as I was preparing for this morning seem to have a couple of different views on why this would have happened. Now, one reason that Jesus may have told him to go to the priest was to ensure that the leper was going through the proper channels of going to the priest and making the offering so that he'd be able to be a man restored to his proper place in his family and in his community. Another commentary suggests that Jesus didn't want the man to reveal how he was healed because Jesus did not want his identity as a son of God to be revealed prematurely and have him removed from teaching in the synagogue. Now, while Jesus did eventually face removal from the synagogue because of his statements of who he was, at this point, Jesus did not want people to follow because of his healing ministry, but rather his desire was for people to follow him because of his ministry of bringing forgiveness of sin, which was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Now, whatever the reason for the secret healing, Jesus gives us an example to those who call themselves believers. Jesus took time out of his busy ministry life and reached out to one that was considered undesirable by society. Jesus took time to show compassion, love, and genuine care to someone that needed it. As I read through this passage time and time again, I began to wonder how our society would be changed if we, the church, were willing to go out and reach out to those that were considered different from us. How would Winnipeg be different if we were willing to step out of our comfort zones and move into helping those who needed to receive a hand up into a better living situation. Jesus not only was not only challenging the Jewish establishment that was following him, but he also pointed to us that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can reach around to those and help bring healing and wholeness to those who have lost hope, lost community, and lost faith that there would be anybody that would be willing to be a part of their lives. It does not matter where we see ourselves in, within society. Jesus' greatest desire is to see all people be healed physically, emotionally, and spiritually, which then results in the healed people reaching out 
to others, and the message of Jesus and the power of the cross is passed along to all people, not just a privileged few. So the second story in this trilogy is found in verses 5 to 13. When Jesus arrived in Capernaum, a Roman army captain came and pled with him to come to his home and heal his servant boy, who is in bed, paralyzed, and racked with pain. Yes, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The officer said, Sir, I am not worthy to have you in my home, and it isn't necessary for you to come. If you will only stand here and say, Be healed, my servant will get well. I know because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I say to one, Go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave boy, do this or do that, and he does. And I know you have authority to tell the sickness to go, and it will go. Jesus stood there amazed. Turning to the crowds, he said, I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles, like this Roman officer, shall come from all over the world and sit down in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And many an Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, shall be cast into outer darkness, into the place of weeping and torment. Then Jesus said to the Roman officers, sorry, then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go on home. What you have believed has happened. And the boy was healed that same hour. So within these verses, we see how Jesus crosses another boundary. This one being an ethnic boundary as he encounters people that have faith to believe that he will bring healing to those who ask. The person that this section of scripture is focusing on is that of the centurion and his servant. In these verses, the centurion is not looking for healing for himself, but rather for somebody that is under his care. Now, the first thing that we need to note in these verses is that a centurion coming to Jesus would have been a very uh, unnatural thing. The centurion was not a person that the religious establishment would encourage good Jewish people, let alone those who were teachers of the religion, to talk to. This because, was because the centurion was a Gentile, and he was also involved with the powerful military forces that were present in Israel at the time. There was a deep hatred for the military that was in Israel because the military rule was so oppressive to the Jewish people. What is interesting to note about this section is how the Gentile centurion, one that was far from understanding the laws and the prophecies, would have had the faith to know that Jesus would be able to heal his servant with just one word. As Jesus walked through his ministry, there were many people he encountered that desired proof to back up the claim that he was a son of God. Meanwhile, a Gentile, who was a, also a ranking official within the military, had no doubt about Jesus and his ability to heal. The centurion, who was in a position of power and authority, knew what it meant for people to listen and to do what he said. This Gentile man knew that the, what the Jewish people could not see. 
that Jesus, who walked the earth among his people, was given power from his Father not only to heal, but to provide a way to be forgiven from sin. The Gentile centurion saw the spiritual authority that Jesus had and did not doubt that a healing for a servant would take place as long as Jesus said it would happen. Jesus uses the centurion to point out that it would not be following the law to a T that would get you into the kingdom of God, but it would be a complete trust, an act of reliance on Jesus that would grant a person access to the kingdom. We need to recognize that it's not how well we follow tradition, what our racial pedigree is, or our social standings, but rather it's having the faith to know that through Jesus we are healed from the fragment that our sin has caused. Now the last section that we're going to look at is found in Matthew 14 to 17. And it's very, it's very short. It says, when Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left, and she got up and prepared a meal for them. So this is an interesting story to end the trilogy on. We, as we've worked through this section of scripture, we have seen how Jesus has gone and bridged the gap between the purity and the ethnic boundaries. But we now see how Jesus ends off this section by bridging the issue of gender. Now within the Jewish culture, women were not viewed the same way as men were. Women had limited rights. They had stricter views of their place within society. Women were to be keepers of the home, raisers of the children, and they really did not even have a lot of rights within the legal system of the day. Now this attitude also influenced with, with the religious setup as well. When the temple was set up, it was the men that were elected as priests. It was the men that were part of the reading and teaching of the book of the law. Women were expected to be silent participators within the temple. And when they had questions, they were to go and t ask their husbands at home. While we do see some strong examples of female leadership within the Old Testament, this really wasn't the norm. In some ways, there are areas of Christianity today that still hold the same pattern. We see many examples of amazing male pastors, but female pastors can be far and few uh, to, to find. Now, I remember a time when I was call, felt the call into ministry. I was in grade 8. I was at a camp, and God just spoke so clearly to me that I was to be a pastor. And I was excited. I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a pastor. This is exciting. And I started talking to some people that I trusted just to see what my next steps should be. And the person that I remember talking to said to me that I must have heard from God wrong because he would not allow a woman to be a pastor. Now, this was a huge hit to my self-esteem because I knew that I had heard from God and now there was this gap of what I should be doing. But I was very blessed that I had people that encouraged me to listen to the voice of God and pursue his will for my life. And I was also shown in scripture how, how Jesus himself valued women and their contribution to the gospel. So, you know, as we look into the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus, we see how he bridged the gap of gender and made the point that all humanity, whether Gentile, Jew, men, women, young or old, were 
all to be the focus of Jesus' love and merciful power. Jesus was not going to miss an opportunity to demonstrate to the culture around him that everyone had an important part to play in the movement of the gospel to all people. When Jesus entered Peter's home, we see that Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. In verse 15, we see how it only took one touch of Jesus' hand for her to be made well. Jesus had such compassion on her that it didn't matter her gender or what her affliction was, but rather she was a child of God that needed a touch of healing to be brought to her body. While her healing was so complete and immediate, she got up and she started serving Jesus. This shows us that when Jesus provides a healing to us, not only should our hearts be filled with gratitude, but that in turn we should be willing to give our lives in thankfulness for all that he has done for us. By Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, we see that within these three stories, there are no longer any barriers in place that should prevent people from coming and expecting a touch from Jesus. Now, while looking at these three accounts of healing within the first 17 verses of chapter 8, we can take a step back and recognize that Jesus was doing something greater than providing a physical healing to the leper, the centurion servant, and to Peter's mother-in-law. He was bridging the gap between purity, ethnic, and gender boundaries. When we come to Jesus in regards to healing, we can come to him as we are. No need to worry if we're good enough, if we're of the right tribe, or if we have all of our ducks in a row. We may not see a healing happen immediately, but that does not mean that we still do not come to him. We come, we ask, we knock, we seek, knowing that we come to the one who not only calmed the seas, who provided healing in scripture, but we come to the one that forgives us our sins and desires us to come to him with our hurts, our needs, and more. As we conclude our time together, we are going to take time to pray and ask God for those things that we need healing from, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. We have our prayer team that's going to make their way to the crosses that are going to come, and they're going to pray for you. If you also, if you would like, there are sticky notes that are on the tables. You can write whatever you need prayer for and stick it up on the cross. Our staff during our staff meetings take time to pray for the requests that are on the cross. We pray for healing. We pray and we cry over those, those prayer requests as we hear what's on your heart. Knowing that Jesus is here to meet you here, we as a church want to come alongside you and pray with you, believing with you that God will meet whatever your need is. We're going to ask the worship band to come up. And we're going to pray as we prepare for our time of prayer together. Father, we thank you that we can come to you. We come to you with a humble heart as we prepare for our time of prayer together. We thank you that you demonstrate to us time and time again that your greatest desire is to have your children come to you to experience healing and acceptance that can only be found by your hand. As we take time to pray, let, our bur let, let us lay our burdens at your feet. I pray that as we look to you for prayer, as the leper did, as the centurion did, as was experienced by Peter's mother-in-law, let us come with a humble heart. 
with the faith to know that you are God in all situations and the ability to come, keep asking and seeking for your will to be done in our lives. At this point in our gathering, we want to encourage you that if you do want prayer, to please make your way to the cross. We have people here that want to pray, to encourage you, to stand beside you in whatever you're going through. If you need to go, go with, our, go with a blessing and have a great week. But let us stand as Josh and his team leads us into worship. In ancient times, the one who was blessed extended his hand, and those who received the blessing did likewise. If you would like a blessing before you go or receive prayer, please raise your hand. For those weighed down by ill health, bring wholeness to body, mind, and spirit. For those weighed down by worry, bring wisdom, peace, and reassurance. For those weighed down by fear, bring freedom, release, and liberation. For those weighed down by sadness, bring comfort, strength, and joy. For those whose hearts are troubled at the start of this new day, be the voice that they hear, the warmth that they feel, the wisdom that they seek, and the strength they require. And the one in whose arms 